episode 345, Strangers and Aliens, OTR featuring Earth Abides by Escape. Attention, all true believers. Want to get away from the room? Uh, anyone on the air? Hello? Hello? Uh, anyone on the air? Hello? Hello? When all is ready, I throw this switch. And welcome back to Strangers and Aliens. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I am here with my buddy and your buddy, all of our buddy, whatever. It's Steve. (laughs) Just me. Not Evan. No, not Evan. Not today. And uh, today and last week, the reason Evan was not around is because he's been busy moving. And uh, it is actually now going to be... Uh, five minutes more for me to get to his house. Oh, the labor. No, wait. No, because he's south, but he's, he was more south, but now he's more west. Actually, it might just be like three more minutes to get to his place. And for Um, me, it's still going to take like 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, it's still going to be, yeah, multiple dozens of hours, but. Yes. Yeah. And so he is not here today. And uh, we hope that he will be back online with us next week. But congratulations to uh, his family for becoming homeowners. And it's a, it's a nice house. I was I was in it helping them move. Um, I was not. Yeah. It was a really hot day. And <laughs> I had to leave early because I had to go to work. Even though it was Saturday, there was some things going on with the season and time for work. But uh, man, was I drenched. Uh, when I left, it was it was bad. Those are bad days. Yeah, but good days for him. So, yeah, yeah. So we are here. Uh, it is 2020 right now, and mm-hmm. we are in episode 345 right now. Yes. And we are returning to a series that we started back in 2013. Yeah, we got a couple episodes in, and intended to just. Keep on doing it. Uh, the yeah. last one that we actually did that was officially part of this series was um, December 24th, 2013. <laughs> <laughs> Episode number 106. Uh, but yeah, this series that we're talking about, this is uh, old time radio kind of um, a way to a- appreciate it. And a way to talk about it and present it and enjoy it. You know, um, old time radio is a big part of science fiction history and it's not as big of a part of science fiction today. Although there are still some people doing uh, new audio drama materials. Um, Focus on the family famously was doing a bunch of different series, especially Mm -hmm. the uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, Yep. 
You also have uh, Adventures in Odyssey that is still producing new material wow. uh, since the 80s, early 80s. I mean, it's been going yeah. on for a long time. Um, Supersonic Pod Comics, just going to throw it out there. Hey, there you go. It's out there doing audio drama, superhero audio drama. Dig it. Supersonicpodcomics.com. We just dropped another episode this week that is breaking a little, little bit of the – breaking the mold a little bit uh, as far as how we – how we present stories there, but that's because we're we're at a point now where I think we can get a little experimental and, and have some fun with it. But, yeah, um, yeah. Second season. <laughs> but yeah. as you're looking at uh, the history of science fiction, obviously it starts with novels, and very early on uh, in in film, there was a lot of uh, there was you know you had uh, the Men in the Moon, you had mm -hmm. uh, Metropolis. I mean, you had them doing fantasy and science fiction, but also on radio. Uh, fantasy and science fiction stories were presented on radio. And so this series that has been on a seven-year almost hiatus, <laughs> <laughs> which worse than in some ways our Seven Deadly Sins series, mm -hmm. but better than that in other ways because the Seven Deadly Sins series stopped in the middle of a list of seven yes and, and this is something that we could stop anytime we wanted to so right yeah so the first one we did was episode 88 and that was uh universe by robert heinlein from the series mm -hmm. x minus one classic the second one october 2013 episode number 93 the dream by lights out classic willis cooper nice. yep. um and then episode 98 was Ray Bradbury's The Martian Chronicles. And that is, if I were to make a list of favorite episodes of this yeah. podcast that I ever did, um, I think that would probably be one of them because that was one where we took a bunch of stories that Ray Bradbury wrote that were part of the Martian Chronicles novel mm -hmm. anthology book that he put together and um, just pieced it together from different public domain uh, radio oh, programs. Yeah. And, and it was great because you have so many different, I mean, you can, you can see that the quality is similar when you go from show to show, you know, dimension X and X minus one and escape and all these different shows that there's, there's very little old time radio where it just seems like it was just thrown together. You know, I mean, these are the actual, productions like they they would do a television production mm -hmm. a yeah. lot of times it was before live audiences and people i mean that the actors would dress up as the characters and you know they might be holding scripts and standing in front of a, a a microphone but you know that's 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 what it that's what it was so you know it, people recording their lines and then sending them through emails and then you know having them pieced together and stuff that might work nowadays that's what we're actually doing with supersonic pod comics right now <laughs> yeah. yeah but you know back then that's not that's not how it was going to work you have to you're you're playing off of other people uh in this particular episode you're going to hear a couple of flubs which you know, okay, they. I guess they could have edited them out or whatever. Maybe they didn't have a chance. It Maybe wouldn't have been edit. I think it would have been a retake. You know, I, I, I'm i just surprised. Yeah. To me, there was a couple times when I'm just like, oh, that was interesting. And then thinking, oh, that's the cut we're going with? Okay, all right, which <laughs> – yeah. 
Uh, the other one we did was uh, episode 106, which was A Christmas Carol, and that was a special Christmas episode. And yeah, so this is our opportunity to kind of look back in the history of science fiction, but also with each one of these, we use them as an opportunity to talk about or present a, a special uh, way of looking at certain tropes. So like the universe episode, we were talking about the, uh, the generation ship. And mm-hmm. and that that story by Robert Heinlein is is considered to be one of the first, if not the first times when a generation ship was presented in science fiction. Right. Uh, Martian Chronicles. That was an opportunity to present. Here's here's the Martian Chronicles, you know, and it came from different <laughs> sources. Um, it did not come, by the way, though, from the actual official Martian Chronicles uh, audio drama that was done because that is uh, not old time radio. It's actually you know still under copyright. But I do recommend it. Like if you are looking at iTunes or um, Audible or whatever it is that you – wherever you buy your your audiobooks and uh, you can buy the dramatized version of The Martian Chronicles and it's it's very good. Uh, Then A Christmas Carol, we actually – obviously that's just a favorite story for us and Mm -hmm. uh, that featured Orson Welles. (laughs) But then it also – um, had a recording of him telling the the Christmas story itself. And so, again, we're using these not just to say, hey, listen to old-time radio, although we are saying that, but also, like this episode, it's going to allow us to talk about uh, a, a trope in the genre of science fiction and fantasy. And so, Steve, I would like you to introduce our episode today. What are we talking about on Strangers and Aliens OTR? <laughs> Well, this is a this is actually a two part episode from the Escape program. Escape was designed to free you from the four walls, basically, of everyday life. Something it's escapist fiction. A lot of times they did science fiction, but not always. They did. It, it, uh, yeah, it, it was always adventure fiction, though. Yes, there was always, always an element of adventure and of um, you know man against nature, man against man, whatever it might be. But uh, it was always an adventure tale. Right. And this was taken from, um, let me see my dates here, Uh, November 5th and November 12th. Uh, It's a very rare escape uh, show because they they actually did this over two two broadcasts. It's the only one Uh, that they ever did over two broadcasts. Yes, yes. Some other shows they did. Sometimes they did hour-long versions of things or, you know, stuff like that. But Escape, this is the only one they ever did. A lot of people think of this as one of the best examples of old-time radio. So if you're pointing, you know, t- to old-time radio and and someone doesn't think it, it, it was good, this is one of those things where, you know, War of the Worlds they might point you to or, you know, a, a, a suspense with, you know, a sorry, wrong number or th- something like that. And this is one of those ones where, you know, it's 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 just that good. Would you be um, one of those people, Steve? <laughs> um, you know, I I think I would. And I think one of the reasons why we're doing this is to sort of push people in that direction. Um, oh. A lot of the escape shows are fantastic. They have great actors they have great writing um and it's it's escapist fiction you know so you can just listen to it half an hour later you you are entertained you had some sort of a theme that they were going for and it was well done yeah so um 
but yeah, Earth Abides. Uh, very quickly, the the writer George R. Stewart uh, wrote actual novels. Before this, he had written a couple um, novels, and uh, he as a, was actually a philologist and a toponymist. If you don't if you don't know what those words are, a philologist is just someone who understands the the meanings of words, and this will play out in the in the actual episode, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. And a toponymist is someone who finds out what the names of places mean. So, you know, Massachusetts means the place with all the hills, you know, so that's a toponymist understanding of what the word means. Um, he was also an expert on uh, people names, and he yes. was uh, just a really interesting guy. He wrote a lot of books about names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, that was just just his thing and yeah the guy interesting guy uh earth abides is the book that we're talking about today which actually won the first international fantasy award 1951 um and we're going to talk about different stories like this this again this is the opportunity that we get from this is we're going to talk about like what style of story is this and uh it's it's I would consider it what I call a last man on earth story or that, that style thing. Obviously it's not about the last man on earth, right? but it is about a, I'm not going to say too much more. We'll, we'll talk about it after the episode. Okay. We'll do it. Yeah. So Steve, you've edited this uh, together into one single episode. So that's one story. And if you would like to hear the full thing, you know, you can find it almost anywhere by just doing a search in your podcast uh, podcatcher. But it's it's these two episodes of Escape. So we're not going to play the Night on Bald Mountain theme. And you're not (laughs) going to hear, I think it was William Conrad who would do the the opening credits and uh, ask, you want to get away from it all? But um, (laughs) yeah, we are going to offer you now some escape with earth abides earth abides if a killing type of virus strain should suddenly arise by mutation it could because of the rapid transportation in which we indulge nowadays be carried to the far corners of the earth and cause the death of millions of people If you should awake some morning, tomorrow morning, let's say, if you should wake to a man-dead world where virtually all of human life had been dissolved from the face of the earth, leaving behind only buildings, bridges, machines, if you should awake to such a world tomorrow morning, what would you do? Where would you go? My name is Isherwood Williams. I was a student of ecology. I was in the northern California wilderness gathering specimens of rock, plant, and animal life. I was alone and had been for a month. Climbing up to a sharp ledge one day, I felt a sudden sharp pain in my extended right hand. I withdrew it under reflex and looked up, and there, a foot above my head, I saw him, a rattler, coiled, ready to strike again. Slowly, carefully, I lowered myself. I began to suck the poison from the bite. I wrapped a handkerchief about my wrist tunicate style and headed for my cabin. 
There, I broke open my snake bite outfit, cut a neat crisscross in my hand at the point of the wound, and applied the rubber suction pump. Then I lay down on my cot. I felt sick. Sick because of the poison. Sick because I was alone. I was weak. In a few moments, deep, warm blackness closed in about me. I don't know how long I was unconscious, but I was awakened by the door. Harry? Harry, look here. Uh, this one's still alive, I think. Hello. I'm glad you came. I'm sick. He's still alive, all right. Don't go near him. Uh, Come on, let's get out of here. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sick. Come back. Why? Why, why did they leave me when they knew I was sick? What were they afraid of? I tried to stand. My knees were like sponge rubber. But finally, I was able to stumble to my chest of drawers. And then I saw the hammer, my rock hammer, resting on the top of the chest. And it suddenly became the most important thing in the world to me. If I can lift this hammer, I told myself, I will live. I wrapped my fingers about its handle, and I lifted it slowly... I let it down. I breathed a sigh of relief. I would live. In the morning, I felt better. I got up, packed the car, and headed for the nearest town, Hudsonville, about ten miles to the south. They'd take care of me in Hudsonville. Consider, if you will, the case of the rats that once inhabited Christmas Island a small bit of tropical verdure some 200 miles south of Java. In 1903, a new disease sprang up. The rats proved universally susceptible and soon were dying by the thousands. In spite of great numbers, in spite of an abundant supply of food, in spite of a rapid breeding rate, the species is now extinct. Familiar houses, stores, taverns, but no one on the streets. A hen scratched quietly in the dust. A lonely dog was howling somewhere. I got out of the car and walked into a little restaurant. The place was empty. Hey. Is anybody here? Hey. Silence. Silence. On the counter, I saw a newspaper. I flipped it open. The headline... Crisis. Acute. I read the story, a dispatch from Washington. The federal government is herewith suspended as of the emergency. All officers, including those of the armed forces, will put themselves under the orders of any fu functioning local authority by order of the acting president. Front page, column three. The West Oakland Hospitalization Center has been abandoned. Its functions, including burials at sea, are now concentrated at the Berkeley Center. Keep tuned to your radio. The radio. The radio in my car. car. 
I turned the dial to the most powerful station in the vicinity. Static. Nothing but static. Desperately, I twisted it from one end of the band to the other, praying for a human voice, a bar of music, anything. There wasn't a single radio station still in operation. The horn. Someone will hear the horn. back in the seat, exhausted. I sat that way for minutes before I looked at the paper again. The paper. The last sign of human life left to me was dated a week before. I read it through twice. Whole cities had perished. Medical centers, bodies, doctors, nurses, burial crews, hard at work, and then they too had fallen and died. The United States, the world, the stagnant flesh pool of death, Suddenly, with terror, I thought of home. I started for San Francisco. On the way, I helped myself to a tank full of gas at the station. Oddly enough, the pumps were still working. Electricity still flowed from the river-driven generators and the lights still blazed. I wondered how I had survived. Perhaps the snake venom had counteracted the virus. Perhaps the, the clean wilderness, who could save? But somewhere, someone else was alive. The men at the cabin door, there must be others, but where? I passed some cows in a pasture. Smiled to myself at the irony. The world belonged once again to the animals. Ecological observation. Pedigree means nothing now. The prize, which is life itself, will go to the keenest brain, the staunchest limb, the strongest jaw. The champion boars will die in their well-kept pens, but the shoats will roam wild. In a few generations, their legs will grow slim, their bodies thin, their tusks longer. Man? They need nothing from man. I passed four or five cars on the highway, abandoned. But farther along, I spotted another car, and there was a man inside. I stopped and got out. He had fallen over the wheel. There was a bottle beside him and the strong smell of cheap liquor. I shook him. Come on, come on. Come on, wake up. Wake up, wake up. Wake up, I said. Come on now, come on. Now leave me alone. Now you just leave me alone. I said wake up. What's your name? Your name. Oh, what difference is it? Oh, come on, come on. Don't go back to sleep. What's your name? Barlow. Barlow's my name. 58 Barlow's in the Seattle telephone directory, and I'm the only one left. <laughs> Me, the dirtiest skunk of the lot. What am I doing alive? Answer me that. Go back to sleep, Mr. Barlow. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Here, here, here. It's free. On a house. Everything is on a house now. Have a drink. Oh, thanks. Let me tell you why I'm still alive. Because I'm being punished. I'm not good enough to die. Oh, goodbye, Mr. Barlow. Uh, no, uh, hey, hey, come on back. I'll, I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> good. 
I'll buy a drink. Look here, I got $500. I took it from a bank yesterday. You want it here? $500. San Francisco. The mute, dead city of San Francisco. A naked forest of concrete with its empty streets. It's ghosts of newspapers blowing across alleys. I crossed the Bay Bridge, stretched over the blank water. A single car, coupe, parked in an emergency recess with its sole possessor now. The Bay Bridge. A final monument to the greatness that had been mankind. I drove the familiar route toward home. Turned right at San Lupo Drive, pulled up in front of the house. I walked up the stairs, took out my key, opened the door. Strange odor of must and stale food blew out at me. Mom? Dad? Mom? I fell into a chair and cried. Observation. The desert and the wilderness began a long time ago. Men came only in the latter centuries. They camped at the springs and wore faint trails through the mesquite bushes. They laid rails, strung wire, paved long, straight roads. After a while, men were gone, leaving their small works behind them. In a thousand years, at a conservative estimate, man will be a forgotten stone in the jungle. Where would I go? I had no idea. I only knew I had to keep going. Change of place was my only comfort now, the only way I had of convincing myself that there was still life in the world. snake bite began to hurt again. It felt good, some small sign of living flesh. I left San Francisco and started across what had once been the United States, Route 66, through the giant southwest, the towns, the empty, dead towns, the dust-blown, silent towns passed me by, one after another, Kingman, Flagstaff, Albuquerque, Oklahoma City, just outside Guthrie, I saw a Negro tending his garden as if nothing had happened. He was afraid. He waved me on with a shotgun. In Tulsa, the sprinklers were still going in the park. I stopped. In Fayetteville, Arkansas, I heard music. Came from a little bar. Neon lit, spitting its bright invitation to the empty street. I took my hammer and went inside. The bottles were stacked neatly, bar rag over the rack, and a broken jukebox, blazing in blues and reds, singing its song to the vacant, varnished tables. And you just 
just want to jump up and down Shut up. like a carnival. Shut up. It's love. Shut up. There's a sparkle. Shut up. Shut up. I slept in the best auto courts of the most luxurious hotels. I slept and ate from the leavings of 150 million people. All the wealth of America had been bequeathed to me. All its wealth and its death. Three days later, I pulled up the Pulaski Skyway, crossed George Washington Bridge, and came to Manhattan. The splendid, slow-decaying corpse of Fifth Avenue, the sable mink in the windows... The silly traffic lights changing color at naked intersections. Manhattan, soulless and dead. Stretched out between its rivers, the city will remain for a long time. Stone and brick, concrete and asphalt, glass. Time deals gently with them. A window pane loosens, vibrates, breaks in a gusty wind. Lightning strikes, loosens the tiles of a cornice. The shade trees on the avenues die in their shallow pockets. Bats fly from the 59th floor. City dies slowly. In the afternoon, I saw smoke from a chimney in the Bronx. I drove to the house, a small house, and knocked on the door. I heard footsteps. When the door opened, I saw a little bald man with a broad smile holding a handful of playing cards. Milk Carson. How do you do? Come on in. You're in time for supper. Well, thanks. I just ate. Uh, this is uh, Mrs. Carson. How are you? Won't you sit down? Oh, thanks. Uh, where are you from? Uh, California. I had a relative there. We're just finishing a hand of gin. Uh, say, look here. Isn't that a beauty? The, the television set? Yes. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a combination radio television set, radio player. I'll bet it even does the washing. It, it took us two days to get it up the steps from the radio store. I always wanted a set like that. Yes, but there's nothing on the air. Sir, always wanted a set like that. <laughs> Jen, there you are. I owe you $10,000. Well, give it to me tomorrow. There's a busted window at the Chase National. All the money you want. I carry 50000 with me all the time just to be on the safe side. Of course, you can't buy anything with it now, but it sure feels nice to carry around. How about some salami? No, thanks. I just ate. Oh, yeah. Say, do you like canasta? Uh, not much at cards. Oh, canasta, I could teach you. It's simple, like rummy, but a little different. Um, what I was wondering was... Why don't you stay here? I got everything you'd want right here in the Bronx. Need a coat for the lady? Break a window at I.J. Fox. You should see some of the diamonds I got uh, Mrs. Carson at Tiffany's yesterday. Beauties. Hey, where are you going? I've got to get started. Well, where? There ain't no place to go. Lots of luck. Well, thanks, but I wish you could stay with us. No, thanks. Goodbye. Oh, the scavengers. How long would they last? Through the winter? And it was doubtful. 
There'd be no central heating. Even breaking furniture in the fireplace wouldn't keep them alive. They were like highly bred spaniels or Pekingese who walked the city's streets at the end of their leashes. They would die with the city a season or two later, pneumonia, accident. The Negro in Oklahoma with his heart to the land, he would survive. Milt Carson and his new wife, they were waiting for death at the card table. Two weeks later, I was in San Francisco again. The streets were just as bare as when I left. The lights were still on, but dimmer now. Water flowed still from the faucets. But San Francisco had a new population. The dogs. They hunted in packs, all breeds, bound together in the common search for food. Danes, Dalmatians, Scotties, toys, all of them. The dogs had taken over the city. And I decided to move back into the house because of the familiar things. Late one afternoon... I went out to look around the neighborhood, and I heard the yelping too late. As I looked around me, I saw myself being surrounded by dogs. They were hungry, ravenously hungry, and they started to close in. The car was on the street some 50 feet away, if I could make the car. The dog made a lunge for me. I kicked violently and started to run. They were after me, some of them running at my legs. He reached the car, opened the door, and slammed it. They climbed to the window, baring their fangs, their red tongues wet with hunger. But I was safe. Then the night. And that night, the lights went out. The lights. The lights. Hey, the lights. What happened to the lights? I looked out over the city. It was black. Black as death. The age of electricity was over. Finished. And there were candles. Mom kept them for ceremonial occasions in the buffet, and I found myself hoarding matches and flashlights, candles, piling them up in the corners. It was only night and day. Time had lost its meaning. And I had food and clothing. And then I had books to read. The Bible. And I read the Bible. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For thy love is better than wine. There was a faint but unmistakable light burning that night a mile away on Knob Hill. I got into the car and drove to the light. I parked the car. I reached for my hammer. In the window, a shadow moved. As I approached the door, a flashlight caught me in its glare. I stopped, dead still. I waited for someone to say, put your hands up. Who are you? There was a breath of perfume. That's a nice car. I can pick up a better one on any street corner. Come on in. Thanks. How about some coffee? Sounds good. How come you didn't find me before this? I just saw the light tonight. I decided to investigate. I saw your light lots of times. Oh? You live down on San Lupo Drive. Why didn't you come in? Woman's pride. Man's supposed to come after the woman. Uh Uh-huh. That was before. There are no rules now. No, but they're habits. Aren't you black? 
Yeah. Black's fine. Fine. I don't want you to think you're the first one I've met. There were five or six others. They saw the light and they came in. They had coffee and I sent them on. What about me? I don't know you. Well, I'm clean, well-educated, healthy, young. Those are the good things. I dislike turnips, canned beans, stupid people. What's your name? You'll laugh. I would laugh. What's your name? Isherwood, my mother's maiden name. Everybody calls me Ish. Well, mine's Emma. Emma and Ish. Nobody's going to write me love songs with that combination. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't imagine they will. I like you. Coffee will be ready in a minute. Emma. Will you come and live with me? I don't know you. What is there to know? That I like you, you like me, that we're both alone. Emma. What? Emma. Yes. Good. Ceremony. There ought to be some kind of ceremony. Have you a Bible? Bible? Uh, on the mantel. I, I've never used it. I just had it. Here. Give me your hand. Now, we shall be together always. Emma was warm and understanding, a good woman, a healthy woman. Soon there was a baby to be born. I had read some books, but I couldn't read enough. I stood by her during the night and tried to help. When the morning came, we had a son. The firstborn since the great disaster. Then there was the matter of time. We won't need to know the exact hour. No, that's true. The clocks have stopped, but what's the difference? We eat when we're hungry, and when we're tired, we go to bed. But the months and the years. It's important to know when the year ends. Oh, that's what I've been doing out on the porch. What is that thing out there? Well, it's a transit. I set it towards the sun, and when the sun reaches the winter solstice, I know that to be the shortest day of the year. And that will be our new year. Well, new Year's Day isn't the shortest day of the year. No, well, December 21st is. And we'll make that our new year. Man's always been trying to get close to that date for the new year, but <laughs> calendar makers always went off. How long will it be? A few days. And then it'll be 1950 what? No, no. That was the old calendar. This will be our year one. The year one. We must call it something. I know. We'll call it the year of the baby. The new life began around the simple problems of Emma, myself, and the baby. The day came when the sun reversed its path. I took my hammer and a chisel. Emma and I had found a tall, smooth rock in what had once been a small public park. In the rock, I carved the figure one. The new beginning, I said to her. The rebirth of man. In the year two, the rats came. San Francisco was overrun with them. They had broken into most of the grocery stores, torn open the cartons, gorged themselves, and gave birth to more rats. 
They multiplied by the hundreds and then the thousands. Rats, the carriers of deadly bubonic plague. Come quick, they're getting in. Where? Here. It should through the door. Well, get me that kitchen chair. Hurry now, hurry. Here. Here. Oh. We're going to the bedroom toward the baby. Now hold the chair against the opening. I'll nail it later. I rushed into the bedroom, taking my hammer with me. There were two of them, tremendous rats. I stationed myself at the crib. One came toward me, unafraid, for the fear of man had been bred out of them. And I flung the hammer at him. Ah, I missed. The rat leaped up into the crib. I threw a blanket over him and flung him to death on the floor. Then I picked up the hammer and threw it at the other one. Dead. Dead. But that was just two of them. Outside... I could hear hundreds squealing, their tiny feet scratching at the walls. How long would it be before they destroyed us? Man was gone now. This was the age of the rats. the year of the baby. Year two, we call the year of the rats. Now it was year three. M, the baby, and I were struggling for existence amid the fast decaying wealth of San Francisco. Oh. All right, now be careful. Careful, Em. Is it yeah. funny? It always makes me feel like I'm doing something wrong. What? Now I'm breaking into the biggest food store on Market Street. Not wrong, Em. There's no private property anymore. This city, this grocery store, it's all ours now. But it is. Look. Look at this place. The rats left their mark here, all right. There's the answer to their death. They ate all the food they could get at, and they ate each other. Oh, it's so horrible. It's a familiar pattern, and the species grows, dominates the earth for a short time, and dies. Now, come on. We'll take a look at the bottles and the canned goods. Yes, look. The labels are gone. They're eaten off. Yeah, well, we'll just have to try to guess at the contents by the shape of the can. Look at it all. Tons of it. We could live on just this forever. No, no, and we can't be scavengers forever. That's why the rats died. And we've got to grow things. We've got to bring something new into the world. Well, come on. Let's get some of this stuff home. During that year, Em and I found whatever we needed for ourselves and the baby in the empty, silent stores of San Francisco. We lived on the spoiling supplies of a million people. One evening, just after dusk, I suddenly noticed a strange, wavering glow in the sky over the downtown area of the city. I called into the window. There was a smell of smoke in the air. Fire, Em. Yes. San Francisco's on fire. Yes. Isn't there something we can do? No. If there were, must be three square miles of flame. What started at these parts? Well, there were no oily rags in the basement. Some gasoline explosion could be any one of a thousand causes. Will it reach the house? No, I don't think so. Wind's blowing it away from us. It'll burn itself out in a day or two. Well, come away from the window. Em. Hmm? Em, do you smell gas? I don't know. It smells like it to me. Open the door to the hall. Yeah. Hey, hey. Hey, the hall is filled with it. Hey, we've got to get out of here. 
gas line must have burst. One spark in this place will blow up like a bomb. Baby, I'll just save you. All right. I'll be safe on the fire escape. Hurry, Ann. Here, here, I'll take the baby. Careful. Just hang on to the rail. I'll walk slowly. Come on. We started down the fire escape. In the distance, the flames were gutting the heart of the city. Parts of Chinatown were already gone. Kept going down the street level, and then we started running. Any second, the spark could blow the building to dust, and he ran. A breath tearing her throat. Back against the wall, and the shockwave. Em, is she all right? Oh, no. Oh, no. It's all over, Em. We're going to be all right. We moved to another section of town that had been spared by the fire. The days passed, the days and the weeks. Em and I were growing tired of the canned foods and wanted some fresh vegetables and fruit. But we needed a car. One day, Em and I found a Jeep in a garage. In the storeroom, I found new tires to replace the rotted ones the Jeep had been standing on. Will it work? Mm, After two years, hard to say. I'm no mechanic. All the cars to choose from, and we pick something like this. I always wanted a convertible. Maybe a Cadillac Uh or a Packard. It's more useful and more durable. Besides, it's all we need. All right, Em. Let's try it. Step on the starter. Mm Several months later, M shook me awake. Ish. Huh? Ish, wake up. Mm-hmm. There's something outside moving around. Huh? Right by the window. Give me the hammer. Be careful, Ish. I'll be all right. I'll come with you. I'll stay here. I'll be right back. Two days wandering around the city. 
Nice city, this San Francisco. Wished I had to visit here when it had people. <laughs> Reckon I really could have had myself a time. I'll get you two something to eat. Well, uh, that, that's mighty nice. Oh, by the way, I sure am an impolite cuss. If my name's Ezra, I don't believe I caught yours. All right, Isherwood. This is M. Well, Hello. I'm happy to know you. Eileen, looks like we've met up with some real nice people. the year three has passed. We called it the year of Ezra. November, the year four. A woman came a week ago. She had dark hair, dark eyes. She was alone. Ezra has taken her for his wife. The year five, our second son was born this day. We named him Joey. April, year six. Two men and a woman have come. George says he's a carpenter. Harry worked in the bank. Well, he'll have to learn a trade. The woman is called Mabel. You better come with me. Oh, what's the matter? The water. It stopped running in the faucets. Well, maybe it's just a broken pipe in your place. No, I checked, and it ain't just my place. I've checked all the houses around, and there ain't any water running in any of them. Maybe it's a water main under the street. I don't think so. You know what I think? What? I think the water stopped way up in the mountains someplace. Ish. San Francisco's going dry. Not a drop of rain. Ezra, we can't go on boiling the water forever. If we're going to live, we've got to get out of here. Yeah, but there's still all them canned goods. And that's what's wrong, Ezra. We've been living off the old instead of building something new. Look, we've got to forget that water ran out of faucets and vegetables come in cans. We've got to start growing things ourselves. We will when the time comes, yes. I reckon. You better come quick. What is it, Em? Eileen. What's the matter with her? She must have been drinking polluted water. Typhoid. <laughs> What are we going to do? Isolate the others. Mabel can nurse Eileen. What do we do for her? What's the treatment? And you can't shorten the disease. It says all you can do is help make it less severe. Now, don't worry, Ezra. We'll do our best. Eileen, she's so helpless. She don't understand. And But you move in with us. This thing spreads. It can wipe out all of us. George. Move him in with Eileen. Get another bed in there. You won't have to. What do you mean? Eileen's dead. This is the year six, a year of disease and death. 
I went to the drugstores, walking the misty, dark streets of the city, armed with my medical text, my hammer. I raided the dusty shelves in the long, warm refrigerators of the pharmaceutical department. The wonder drugs had long since rotted in their vials. Some sulfur was still potent, and I used it liberally. Yet case after case of typhoid broke out. Some lived, most died, including our firstborn. Our little community, upon which I had pinned the hopes of a new birth of mankind, had dwindled from 12 persons to seven. Five adults, only two children. You've got to get some sleep, Ish. How many of us have left them? Count them for me. Ezra, George, Mabel. Our second son, Joey, and Ezra's boy. You and I. Oh, Anne. And what's the good of starting again? We're being exterminated from the earth, every small being of us, so things can become green again. There are seven of us, Ish. Once there was only me, and once there was only you. Alone and separated. There are still seven. Oh, Em. Em, what would I do without you? Go to sleep. You won't make the mistake a second time. Won't be any looking back. You'll forget the trains that used to run. And the tall buildings and the soft food. We'll go back to the earth. Back to the earth. We left San Francisco, we few survivors. We packed only the essentials, the machines, the conveniences... We left to the sun and the wind. From this time on, we'd work in the soil. The decay of the old times was behind us now. We went south and east until we came to a watered land, green, with growing things. This would be our Eden. Here, without the memories of the dead people about us, we would begin mankind again. Come here, Joey. Yes, Daddy. Joey, here. Sit down here next to me. I want to ask you some questions. Sure. Now, first of all, what year is this? Oh, that's an easy question. The year 15. <laughs> Joey, did you do your reading today? Sure. You like to read. Yeah. Joey, there's something I want to tell you. You know, there were once a lot of people like us on Earth. Millions. You know that, don't you? Yeah. I read about them. They could fly. That's right. Well, someday there'll be millions of people again. And they'll fly again, years and years from now. But after I'm gone, there won't be anybody to show them the way. That's why I'm depending on you. Well, what am I supposed to do? Learn, read, study. You're going to leave them someday, Joey, after I'm gone. Don't let them go back. <laughs> you don't understand. I think I do. Oh, you will. Oh, look. I want to show you what I made this morning. What is it? It's called a bow. The guns won't be good much longer. The powder will get rotten. The guns will get rusty. You can hunt with this. Kill animals for food. Yeah, look here. See? I carved it out of willow. Then I strung strips of calf hide from one end of the bow to the other. And now watch this. See here, this is the arrow. That's right. Now, now, pull back. Hard. No, 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 no. Hard, hard. There. Now, let go. Boy, that's well. Can I take it outside and play with it? Sure, but be careful with it. Hey, Billy, 
took thousands of years for man to pass from the spear to the bow and arrow. I've just done it in five minutes. This is the year 19. I have gray hair. It's odd to think of myself as an old man. Well, I'm not really 51. There are 19 numbers in a smooth piece of rock in the meadow that I chipped in with my hammer and chisel. My hammer. What would I do without my hammer? Everything is going along well. Quite a farmer now. Community is growing. There are 45 of us. Strangers have drifted in. Babies born. Maybe man is something you can't quite kill off. A stranger named Charlie came in today. I don't like him. He's gruff and hard. And his eyes... I don't like his eyes. Uh, sure, three men at a time. Gee, Charlie, how'd you do it? I grabbed two of them and banged their heads together. They cracked like coconuts. Then the other one I knocked down and stepped on his face. Wasn't much left of him after I got through. Gee. It's time for a bed, Joey. Oh, can't he tell one more, Dad? Maybe some other night. Okay. Good night, Dad. Good night, Charlie. Good night, Joey. Will you come tomorrow night? Maybe. Great kid you got there. What did you do in the old times, Charlie? Oh, a lot of things. For a while, I was a stickman in Las Vegas. Used to be a fighter, too. A lot of things. You name it. You intend to stay? Sure, I intend to stay. Why not? No other place to go. This is the only good-sized group of human beings I've seen. And believe me, I've been around. Sure, I'll stay. Everybody works. That's the only way we can live. Listen, you... If I want to stay, I'll stay, and I'll stay on my own terms. I don't ask anything from anybody. I live my own way. You better understand that right now. And you better understand something before we go any further, Charlie. I've been elected to leadership in this town, and we aren't a bunch of independent individuals doing what we please. We're a community, working together. Either you accept that or get out. We ain't going to get along, Mr. Isherwood Williams. And I'm staying. Good night. Don't shut Ish, what is it? I don't know. Don't go out there yet. Ish, Ish is roaring drunk. Where is he? Right outside. Yeah. What's the matter? Charlie. Well, it's mine is mine. Stay away. 
Give me that gun. Stay away, George. Stay away. I told him to stay away. George. George. He's dead. How are you? You've done enough damage with that thing. Hand it over. answer. Death. Death? You mean kill him? Murder him? No, it's not murder, M. You, Mabel, Nezra, and I, we're the government now. We've been elected council of four. There isn't any government but us. It's not a matter of punishment. It's protecting the community from a menace, and that's what Charlie is. But he was strong. All the more reason he might do it again. Afraid so, M. We can't take the chance. We're like a jury. Let's vote. We've got all the facts. The vote's been called. Any questions? Ish. Is it right? Is it right to take a human life? To save many lives, yes. Em, it's got to be right. We'll take a voice vote. You first, Mabel. What do you say? Death. Ezra? Death. the sentence tomorrow morning. The Council of Four had made its decision. This was not killing in passion or rage or hatred. This was the deliberate and sane elimination of an enemy. Early in the morning, we tied Charlie to an oak tree. Ezra took Charlie's revolver. Charlie stared at him with childish disbelief. He gasped, slumped into his ropes, his mouth red with blood, his eyes swollen in death. The power of the new state was born. Mother M, all gone now. Only you. 
A hammer's a symbol. Symbol of leadership. Yes. Yes, that's the way things happen. You're the only one that's lived through from the old times. The only one. The only one. Joey. Yes, Dad? I'm old. Very old. And I can't see very well. Did I make the numbers clearly? Yes, Dad. Forty-eight. The year, forty-eight. It's all begun again. Life. Generations and generations. Oh, Em. If you could have lived to see your faith come true. And once there were only the two of us alone and separated. I want to see the old once more before I die. Just once more. The bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge. We're here, Dad. How? How does it look, Joey? Tell me. How does the Golden Gate Bridge look? It's old and rusty. But it, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Is there a car? Small car on the bridge? Yes, Dad. It's still there. Can you still see buildings across the water? Only a few, Dad. Mostly overgrown. But the hills behind the city are beautiful today. Good. Joey, hmm? here. Here's the hammer. Yes, Dad. You're the new leader now. The hammer has always been the symbol. Pass it on to the best of them. And, uh... Joey, don't let them make her out of you. Let knowledge be the watchword. Oh, if you understand, Joey. I understand, Dad. Know the earth, Joey. Know the earth. Dad. Men go and come. But the the earth abides. So that is Earth Abides, and I don't know where to start here. I, I Maybe let's start with just the type of story that it is, which, like I okay. said, is I call it a last man on Earth kind of scenario. Most last man on Earth movies that I refer to as that aren't actually about the last man on Earth. There's usually other people around, and uh, this is no exception. But that's what drew me into this. I did not know what I was getting into the first time I listened to this story that I just thought another one of the, you know, another escape episode, just going to be interesting. Um, but it really drew me in. Um, mm -hmm. Now, one difference is also the style of the way that they present the story. Using the first-person narrative allows them to do the time jumps 
and and move forward and go from year one to year two to year 21. But the uh, the episode itself, um, I was surprised just how much it drew me in. And then I was also surprised by how much it reminded me of uh, Stephen King's The Stand. Yeah, it was actually an inspiration. It for was, his... yeah. He, yeah. He actually has said that. Uh, I haven't mm-hmm. read the quote, but I did read that he said that this was an inspiration to him. Uh, yeah. to, to writing the stand. So, and if you don't think that this story is that influential, I mean, Stephen King using it as an inspiration for the stand, uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, loved has said it was one of his favorite books and it was also the impetus for a couple of his songs, although his songs don't really have anything to do with earth abides. It was just sort of like a, um, a way for him to, to channel that same energy that he felt from the book into, into a couple of his songs. Uh, and also uh, a video game called The Last of Us. I don't play video games, so I don't know how influential it was, but it's called The Last of Us. Uh, Earth Abides was one of the main inspirations for it. And as recently as 2011, uh, a songwriter released an EP about Earth Abides. So, you know, it's it's something that's still influencing people, you know, within the last decade. So, yeah, I'm just, it's interesting to me to think about like why I like different kinds of, of tropes, you know, and, and to think about like, why do I like time travel stories and why do I like this and that? And one of the things that I don't think is very difficult for me to figure out is why do I like these kind of last man on earth scenarios? Because how many times, you know, from being a little kid until being an adult, I, I, couldn't count how many times I just thought, well, what would it be like if there just weren't any people, you know, <laughs> what would it be like if, if all of a sudden just everyone was gone and just the world was empty and it was your playground, Yep. you know, you could go anywhere and do anything. What would you do? You know? And, um, and that's and what, what attracts me. What would a good me. person do? And what would a bad person do? Yeah. Well, and you've got a little bit of here in, in earth abides, you know, there's that whole point, uh, where M is saying, uh, I feel guilty. I feel a little guilty doing this still, like breaking into these buildings, you know, yep. and it's like, well, nothing belongs to anyone anymore. Like you're, yeah. you're not stealing if if there's literally no one within miles and everyone's dead. Um, yeah. Speaking, Money doesn't make any difference. Well, and you had two different characters talking about that where they were accumulating money. Yeah. And then like – just has $50,000 on him just in case, yeah, you know? Yeah, there's no value, you know? And <laughs> when he's, they're playing cards, oh, you owe me 10000 Yeah, you can pay it to me tomorrow, yeah. you know? And, yeah. Um, and and that, I think that's another thing that comes out of those kind of stories is it does kind of get you to look at, okay, so what do we value and, and what do we need? And, you know, how much of this is just built on nothing, you yeah. know, or, or built on constructs that we've created to make it work, yep. you know, and yep. um, like the value of money and how does that all work? And um, yeah, and it, electricity, what happens when the electricity goes out? What happens yeah. when the water goes out? Well, and I love his, I mean, early on and then later on both, um, he talks about how we need to stop living on these things that have been made for us and we just need to start making stuff for ourselves, you know, we need yeah. to, um, do we find another place with water? No, let's, let's go build a new place 
and let's let's move out of the city and um it's interesting too because this then becomes in some ways a a prequel to a lot of post-apocalyptic things where you don't see this side of the post-apocalypse right a lot of times it starts 200 years later and that's really interesting too, you know, where you have the barren earth and you have the people walking the earth and discovering things. And as they're discovering things, you're realizing, oh, wait a minute. This is a hundred years from now. Right. You know, because they found this building and uh, the tripod trilogy, mm-hmm. which we talked about. Um, and we did a couple episodes on that, that series. Uh, that's, that's one of those where lay, as you're going through the book, you realize, oh, this is not medieval people. These are people who've been pushed back to medieval technology, right? And, and that's that's an entire uh, something like that is is an entire trope in early science fiction where you have, uh, in, in a slightly different way, you have you know aliens or you don't know that they're aliens. You think that they're they're humans because they're it's just regular human voices, or sometimes they're just in shadows or something, and they're going to examine a planet. And, you know, everything's destroyed and, you know, it's it's very evident that that whoever was on this planet destroyed themselves because of violence and greed or whatever. And then it turns out in in the last panel of the comic book or in the last, you know, sentence of the of the thing, you know, it's like, oh, well, I guess we'll never come back to this planet. I wonder what it was called. Earth. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's, and it, it, a lot of times you'll hear that, especially in the older types of science fiction you know that that type of a thing where you know you're you're examining your own planet but you don't know it until until the reveal and i would say that it's enough of a trope where that one just gets so cliched because it's so and i I think the problem is it's so heavy-handed you know because a lot of times it really was (laughs) it's a smack in the face yeah yeah, well it, it really was just meant to be i am saying something important about the world you know, and I'm saying something important about nuclear power or, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and it's not just a story like that's that's the starting point. The starting point is the punchline. And then it's just getting yeah. there. It's, you know, the best Twilight Zone stories are ones where you're just going along with it and you're waiting for that twist. And it's really interesting. And you like the characters. The worst Twilight Zone stories are the ones where. You could tell they almost started with that twist in mind instead of um, really developing the story. It's like we got to get to this point because everyone's just going to be shocked, you know, and um, it it doesn't work as well. But and they don't have the same they don't have the same legs. You know, those are the episodes where it's like you've seen it the first time and it's oh okay Yeah. You don't really want to watch it the second time because it's. You know the you know the whole thing. You know you you don't have time to have that emotional distance from it, so you can you know forget about it a little bit and then get surprised by it again. It's just that's all you all you remember. So sometimes those are like that. Yeah. So I don't like the where it turns out it's Earth. Although Leonard Nimoy uh, on one of his albums that he did had a song where it was narration. It was he wasn't singing the whole story, but it was all like aliens observing the earth and and then at the end you find out again it's just just like you just said and that was leonard nimoy trying to make a statement about about war and about how bad it is and yeah you know these, watch out 
these big statements that aren't big statements because most people know it already. Yeah. You know, but it makes it feel good to be able to say it, I guess. And right. yeah. um, so anyway, that's oh, the other one I hate is the Adam and Eve one <laughs> where. Well, you sort of get a little bit of it here. Yes and no. I mean, they are rebuilding and, and, and building a new thing. But in the last five minutes of the story, we don't find out that his middle name is actually Adam and her middle name is actually Eve, you know, or, no, or something like name that. Is- his name is Isherwood. They call him Ish, and Ish is Hebrew for man. And her name is Emma, and M is Hebrew for uh, for mother. But they aren't Adam and Eve. <laughs> no, but it's, it's we still, don't get to the end, still... and we just have these two people deciding they're going to build humanity. But you do by the end of the first episode, and you know halfway through what we've presented here, you know, and halfway through it's an Adam and Eve story. It's not an Adam and Eve story. There's a lot of other people around them. Huh. I mean, they build a I whole would, community. I would still argue. I would still argue it's a little bit of an ad. He, he's still hitting that trope a little bit. You can argue bit. that he's hitting the trope a little bit, but it is not what I'm complaining about. Okay. Which is you follow these two characters, right. find out that they are actually named Adam and Eve, yes. and that the world that they are on is Earth. Yes, like that's I hate that so much. And there's a right. Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, they they do that, and I was like, "You're better than this, Rod Serling." <laughs> I know, but those were the tropes that they were working with back then. Yeah, we have different yeah, ones that's now. true. What's interesting about this is I don't think he was setting out to win like the International Fantasy Award with this kind of story. I think he was just setting out to write like the great American novel. Um, yeah. And, and that's the other interesting thing to me here. Obviously we haven't, I haven't read the novel. Um, and this is not the entire story from the novel, no. but I think there's enough of it here that you can get a good feel of it. I, I read some, um, um, descriptions of the novel and I feel like this gives a really good presentation of what was in the novel. And yeah, and it just there's a lot of uh, Americana in it. You know, mm-hmm. he's going down Route 66. He's yeah. traveling coast to coast a few different times. Uh, San Francisco to New York and back again. Yeah. Uh, and I, I get the impression from the book that there's actually more going on in between the two coasts as he's traveling. <laughs> uh, it's got to be something happening. Yeah. Sticking with the main action, though. I mean, it's 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 San Francisco or uh, and, yep. and, and Manhattan, you know, but um, there's the Americana to this is kind of a melancholy, nostalgic Americana mm-hmm. because everyone's just gone. Which, by the way, the only time that they talk about dead bodies in this is at the end when some people are dying of like typhoid or whatever. It's people from their community, though, and the rats. The whole beginning, I'm wondering, he's walking all around and trying to figure out what happened, but he's not talking about like seeing dead bodies anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think in in the book, the... Um, it's there's been evacuations, and so the only num the, the only corpses would would be like near hospitals and stuff like that. So 
But I mean, we're wiping out all but like a dozen people in the greater San Francisco area. Right. But I think it was it was it was so slow that people were able to like you started to get sick and then you were moved to a different place and then maybe isolated and then you died there. And then because the people were taking care of you in that place, they died there. So it wasn't one of the one of the tropes that that people do when they do stuff like this is like people, you know, uh, Andromeda strain where they go to the town and there's just bodies everywhere, you know, except for the two people that are alive and, you know, very similar. There was a, a, a virus, you know, something happened, some sickness or whatever, and it just was wiping people out like that. They, they dropped where they, where they were walking. And this is early on in that trope. So early on that, that people aren't dying, you know, like I was listening to one uh, a little while ago and someone was reading the news and they're like, oh yes, the sickness is still here. And, uh, <clears throat> and they die while, you know, on, on air reading the news. And it's very dramatic because you're like, oh, okay, this disease is really bad. But, you know, here's a guy who's, you know, spent some time away from people and then he gets bitten, you know, by a snake, which, I mean, the imagery of the snake, you know, and, and, you know, that whole imagery, but, but that saves it. The thing is in the Bible, the snake lifted up on the pole, you know, it, uh, when Moses did that and oh, people looked at the you, snake, you can't have it both ways. He did you're, have you're, it both ways. And <laughs> you're, you're using it as you're saying Adam and Eve serpent in the garden. <laughs> he has a lot of biblical imagery in this, he in this. Does. Thing. And it's just in this too. Like, I'm curious how much the novel actually has. Um, yeah, because this is the adaptation of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I and even, I still... even the title, the title comes from Ecclesiastes. You know, one generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. Yeah. So that's you know, so lots of biblical imagery, and and uh, oddly, he um, in the book. He references uh, Robinson Crusoe, which, if you've ever read, is, ha- is layered and slathered on with with uh, biblical uh, underpinnings and 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 all that stuff. And uh, in the book, he where's the quote I have here? He uh, he finds Robinson Crusoe less appealing than the Swiss Family Robinson because the quote is his religious preoccupations, Robinson Crusoe's preoccupations seem boring and rather silly. So as much as he's using all these Christian uh, things to, to inform his, his novel and to, to tell the story to, to a people at the time who would be much more biblically literate, or at least in a certain section, um, than, than today— you know, if you tried to tell this story today, you'd have to explain what, you know, what, what Ecclesiastes is and, you know, what, what does it mean? Ish means man. I mean, Hebrew, who cares about Hebrew? You know, there would be all these different layers that you would have to unpack for the person to actually get, get the appreciation of it. But people back then, they would have read Robinson Crusoe. So they would have known exactly what you're talking about. They would have read their Bible. So they would have known what you were talking about. Um, but here it's you know it's seventy years ago. It's a different time, and you know even so, though and, he does, and the book was nineteen forty nine. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it, 
I, I do believe, yes, he, he was writing for people who had a biblical literacy, literacy even if they weren't um, followers of biblical teachings. They, they had a literacy, I think, mm -hmm. in some ways, um, your average Joe who doesn't go to church might have known a lot more about the Bible than your average Joe who does go to church today. Right. Um, yeah. Just just by being around it, and yep. and you know both both uh, he and M had Bibles on the shelf. Yeah. Um. Just right there. there. Yep. The other biblical quotation that was in there was Song of Solomon, <laughs> verse uh, chapter <laughs> one, verse two. Uh, yep. Let me kiss. Uh, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Um, for uh, your love is better than wine, or sweeter than wine. But um, yeah. <laughs> it's it just that cracks me up because he's he's like doing all this. I did this. I did this. I read the Bible, and then it's this, <laughs> the woman's voice. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. And then right from there, it jumps into. And then I saw a light on the hill. It's a woman. <laughs> and yeah, like it, the yeah. next scene is him like meeting someone and deciding they're going to get married that day. Right. Yep. Quote unquote, get married, uh, and they use a Bible uh, to to seal the the covenant. Yeah, and uh, I mean it's 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 technically getting married. I mean, what we do now with our marriage ceremonies are very much cultural. You know, back in the in the Bible times, you don't see what a marriage ceremony looks like, and it could look very different in you know in in just the the understandings we have. Sometimes you just you know, it was understood that you were going to be, be married and you took the woman to your tent and everyone knew and everyone was agreeing with it. And maybe there was a party or something to celebrate it. But there you go. And then sometimes there were week long parties where everyone, you know, and there was a betrothal period and all this stuff. So, you know, the differences cover this. This is just another way of, of saying, you know, hey, the the world is crazy. There's no one here to officiate a marriage. So why not get married? So well, and that's I where do. he says to her, you know, she says, "Well, doesn't the gentleman come calling?" You know, and he says, "There yeah. are no rules anymore," and yeah. she says, "But there are habits." You know, <laughs> uh, it's just that's the the one part of this adaptation of of the story that is kind of jarring. Is I read the Bible. And then the woman's voice reading that one verse. <laughs> Song of Solomon. Like, of if all I'm things. all by myself and I'm reading Song of Solomon and I'm a single guy already, right? I, I believe mm -hmm. he was single uh, going yep. into the story. And suddenly there is literally no one on the earth. Song of Solomon is not the place I'm going to go to find solace. Yeah. You know, like I might, uh, I might read it if I was reading through everything. And just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through and so it gets read, you know. But that's the one verse that they chose to shine the spotlight on right here. And it just feels really weird. Yeah. So. But, I mean, it, it is, it's really telling of the, the way people understood things 70 years ago. You could, you could read that on a, I mean, a hit program and people wouldn't really blink. It would be like, oh, another Bible quote. That's kind of interesting. You know, it's one of the reasons why I, I really appreciate old time radio is because you get this and it might be sort of like a cultural understanding of what Christianity is. And it might not be, 
you know, getting the gospel out all the time, but, you know, you would at least have shows where there would be a, a parallel to Jesus, or there would be a parallel to, you know, the, these stories in the Bible. And no one, no one was thinking, oh no, are the censors going to, to cancel this? Oh no, was, is there going to be a write-in uh, campaign of people who don't like biblical stuff that are going to try to get the, you're not going to have any of that. But you it know? also I mean, speaks to the universi- universality of the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, like there, you can get, a- anyone can get something out of it. You know, even if you're not reading it because you believe in it, which mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I don't know anything about George. Uh, whatever George his last Stewart. name is. Yeah, I, I don't know anything about him as far as his personal beliefs or anything like that. Um, a story like this, causes me to say you know there's some hope to the end of the story slightly but there's also a real um oh it it doesn't it it doesn't have the most faith in humanity (laughs) you know most (laughs) most people that he meets who are still around um they're not going to do very well you know they're deluded or they're they're gonna die yeah or or they're gonna die because they're just not doing the right things, you know, right. and, um, and even at the end, you know, he doesn't want them to think his hammer is magic, mm-hmm. you know, because he, you know, let's not have that superstition. And there's more, I guess, in the book when, from what I was reading, there's more superstitions yeah. that are being done and, and things like that. But, um, he, he can't stop them. Like, and that's just part of human nature. Yeah. You know, and and so there is even as there's a little bit of trying to present hope for the future, uh there's also a nihilism as well yeah. that we just we can't yeah. get away from from this this thing that's happening here. Yeah. One of the most interesting things that I found out when I was researching was the character of Emma was as written in the book, she's at least partially African American. Yeah, and from what I understand, the point is, once you're in this situation that they're in, like, you you can't afford to think about skin color. Yeah, you know, like it it just doesn't matter in their situation. Mm-hmm. Um, now I mean, there it is, shouldn't anyway. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there is there is the the mention of the one fella in in the middle of the country somewhere, and uh, yeah, and how they just he's described in this, um, you know, and and that's you know we. we mention that but that's a little bit uh um of the time you know right but uh and it's not negative i mean it's no just... no it's it's descriptive and it's descriptive in the language of the time um and 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 positively too he said that that you know that guy is going to survive because he knows how to to work the fields you know and or to to make make food for himself he doesn't have to yeah. deal with the cans and you know, as opposed the to rats. the as opposed to the two people who have that television yeah you know who <laughs> um and and boy and and that just that speaks to the nihilism that i'm talking about where uh and it's nihilism that's not founded necessarily in all of humanity it's again kind of shining the spotlight on america and on these people who look at what they value. They're able to get all these things they never could get before, but it's meaningless. Mm -hmm. It's meaningless. I mean, I guess that's another thing where 
He's not saying it. Maybe he does in the book. I don't know. But this is very much just going into Ecclesiastes territory. Oh, yeah. You know, just talking about the meaninglessness of the uh, the radio television set radio player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Yeah. It, it took them two days to get it up from the store. And and he it's it's <laughs> there's some really good voice acting too. Um, whoever is playing Ish, which uh, yeah, I'm, that was John Daner. Okay, and that's a, that's a name I'm not super familiar with. I'm sure I've He's, probably he, heard he it did before, but hundreds, if not thousands, of old time radio shows. Yeah, very famous. But he's a guy here who he, there's some genuine emotion and 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 some surprising emotion in some of the yep. line readings that he has, and the one where they're talking about the television set, and he's just like, but there's. There's no signal. Like just the way he says it, he's just surprised and appalled and and he's out of there. Like, yeah. I don't want anything to do with these people. This is this way lies lies madness. And and you have that little bit about the dogs, um, <laughs> where it's talking about how the um the strong dogs that are are behind fences are gonna die. Yeah. Uh, and the, the weak dogs they're going to over generations just become stronger because they're out there, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're out in the world. And, um, yep. and, and those two guy, uh, two people not, uh, in Manhattan, they're, they're these weak dogs that can't provide for themselves and yep. he wants nothing to do with it. But they're not even dogs. I mean, dogs still have that ability to go back to feral. And to, you know, it's, it, it dig into a trash can because there's, they don't have any shame. And these people, they're just, they're going to eat, you know, all the stuff that this, what was it? Salami or something. You know, have another piece yep. of salami. That's what they kept offering him. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to eat the, the food until it goes rotten. And then they're going to, to, you know, they're going to die <laughs> because, you know, people don't go back to feral. People don't have that. You know, and I mean, plus, they're they're choosing this crumbling city as yeah. as their domain, you know. And yeah. um, every time I've listened to this, so just before we recorded, I've listened to this twice, just in the recent past, and I've listened to it, uh, I think, three other times, um, just over the years. Um, part of it is because it will show up in my different podcasts that I've subscribed to, mm -hmm. and uh, part of it is because I. I like this one, you know, and, yep, yep. and so um, as much of a selection as there is to find something new every single day that comes from old, old time radio, you could, you could listen to something and never repeat listen um, oh, yeah. for every day for the rest of your life. You could listen to five different things and, and never yeah. repeat. Um, Tens but, of thousands of shows. Yeah. But this is something yeah. that I, I have gone back to a few times and every single time those two people and the guy on the bridge just create the same emotional response for me, which is just this kind of um, sadness. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it really, but it, it just, it's very effective storytelling yeah. for me. And, and every single time I'm just like, Oh, that's horrible. That's just <laughs> horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. And that's as a, as a Christian listening to this, that's the state that sinful people are in. And this just sort of, you know, puts a veneer on it that Ish and 
eventually Peggy and then the other people who are most of the people who come to their little commune, it's sort of like they're the ones that start the new church. They're the ones that that can survive spiritually because they're not, you know, giving into, uh, you know, the, the, the greed or, um, you know, the, the, the Charlie character who, you know, shows up and he just wants to, wants to take, or, you know, he's got the gun, he's going to kill someone or whatever. And, you know, they're, they're not giving into that and they're open to people coming in. But when they do, this is what happens in the book. The Charlie character is actually the one who brings the, the typhoid yeah, in as yeah. well. And uh, I'm glad so, they separated you know, that out though. I mean, that just, it made it better. I think in this, the Charlie character in the book is really much more morally challenged. And I don't think you could get away with some of the stuff on, on radio. Um, yeah, it's not like it's, it's horrible, terrible, awful, no good type stuff. It, it's the type of stuff where, I don't think the censors would would have passed it at the time, seventy years ago. Well, I, I think it's Nowadays really it. really effective. Obviously, I haven't, as I said, I haven't read the book, and so I don't know mm-hmm. how it plays out in the book. The way yeah. it plays out here, though, that the typhoid is just a thing that happens, yeah. and you know that's that's life. You know, I yep. mean, we're living in <laughs> the the, <laughs> the other thing. Re, uh, listening to it right now. Uh, it was interesting because it, this is the worst case scenario. Yeah, you know, and and here we are in the middle of this COVID nineteen thing, or yep. if not in the middle, I, I think we're probably closer to the middle than the end. But um, and and you you heard about people who went on a sabbatical in February and came back in March, and they're like, "What have I missed?" And you're like, "Have you not yeah, turned on a radio?" Yeah. No, I haven't. I've been away for a month, and it's like, wait a minute, you don't know that it's a pandemic. So, you know, it, it, you you sort of get that effect early on. But uh, this – I would not recommend listening to this if, if you're the type of person who's just super, 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 super afraid of any kind of disease because this is the worst case disease scenario. Uh, and actually it's amazing that, you know, you have like these two dozen people survive <laughs> or however many it is. Um, but they do and – they move on to the next generation. Uh, the other thing, though, is back to Charlie. Uh, that whole situation with him. So the typhoid thing, I liked it better when it was just it just got brought. It was just there, and it killed off one of their children. You know, yeah. and and that just, I think that that was more effective to me than if that if uh, you know Charlie had been responsible for it. But then Charlie comes in and he's he's evil. Uh, coming into their thing and every person that they allow to come into their community. And this is true for you too. I mean, for us, any person you allow to come into your life or into your community or into your church, you're taking a risk Mm -hmm. that this is a person as you are trusting them and loving them and allowing them to become a part of your life, then you're going to find out is, was it a risk worth taking? Or is yep. this something that's going to damage and bring down what you've created? And in their case, they're talking about the end of civilization. Like he literally could bring on the end of civilization, at least in this pocket, uh, by being just this bully and idiot. And uh, yep. and they have to make the hard choice of an eye for an eye. Yeah, he he murdered someone. You could say accidentally, but it was a drunken rage, you know, or whatever. And yep. um, 
and they have to make the choice and they make the case, they make the choice. And it's another, I forgot about this, this piece. When I listened to it uh, for, for this episode, I forgot all about this Charlie guy. And I knew that there was problems in their community, but I forgot that he actually did kill someone. And then after that, I forgot that this was not a, they fought him and he died. Right. It was a, they caught him and they killed him. They didn't set him off to the land. They didn't, uh, um, you know, exile him. Um, they tied him up and they shot him and the description of his face as it's, as they're getting ready to do so. And it's this, this childlike fear that he has when he realizes what's going on. Um, just really effective storytelling going on here. Yeah. And it's the type of thing where in this situation, if you don't have a rule of law, you're not, you're going to lose control of the whole situation. You know, they, they have a, the hammer is this motif through the whole, yeah. we need to talk about the that whole hammer. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, very early on to, to, for him to get the, the will to continue when he's sick, you know, he finds a hammer and he says, if I can lift the hammer, uh, obviously you've just heard the episode, yeah. but you know, and, and then it lasts all the way through. And it's, it's this, it, people tend to think of it as magic and it's the symbol of, of power. It's a symbol of law. And, you know, he uses it to, to, you know, to be his rule of law to, to be able to continue on. And then usually he, and then he uses it as his, his, his law to, to be able to use it as a weapon. And then he uses it, you know, and it's, it's interesting how they use that motif through the, through the whole show. Yeah. And, and this is, I think, you know, for me, one of the first times where I came across that idea of a hammer can build or a hammer can kill, you know, or Uh a hammer can destroy. Um, Because that's, that's what's happening here is he has this tool to build and he's using it to fight rats, you know, and he's, uh, and then at the end, yeah, when they, when they look at that and and the child, I don't want to touch your hammer because it's magic. Mm -hmm. I'm scared of, of your hammer. And, and that's where, again, he just, he can't help it. There's nothing he can do about it. That, that superstition has grown up around his hammer. He didn't even realize it was happening while it was happening. Uh, but, uh, I love just the hammer in this story. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's a little goofy at the beginning where he's like, if I can lift this up, I will live, you know? And, yeah. Uh, and some of it, if there's any weakness that comes out of this adaptation, it's the, the speed because it's only yeah. an hour long because right. I mean, and they gave it two episodes, you know, like this mm-hmm. is, this was unusual for them. They, most everything else they did were probably right. short stories. Like I, I know a lot of escape things that they use from Ray Bradbury or different people mm-hmm. uh, were short stories, much easier. Yeah. Uh, Rudyard oh, Kipling. Yeah. And, and they, I mean, they, they used a lot of different things, a lot of different artists or authors rather. Um, but they're taking a novel here and turning it into one hour. And so they have right. to speed through things. And so, I imagine there was more going on uh, than just, oh, my hammer. If I can lift up my hammer, <laughs> I will live. I did it. You know, and then. No, I will live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I imagine there's more to it in the book, but yeah. it sets up just this idea of uh, 
the the weight of this tool. Like the mm-hmm. reason he uses it as as a test for himself uh, is because this is not a lightweight thing. This is a thing that abides. You know, this yes. is uh, a heavy thing that will last him and be by his side this entire time. Um, and I would say, you know, I probably wouldn't remember this, but talking about it right now, I would put this into a list of, um, you know, best weapons in sci-fi, you know, because <laughs> it is, it's, you know, you have Captain America's shield, which is so tied into what he was doing. You have the lightsaber, which is so tied into the Jedi thing. And you have this hammer that is just so tied into this book. Yep. You know, this, this book, this story is ish and his hammer and his community, you know, but yep. the, the hammer just sticks with him, and it's an inanimate object that goes along in the story and becomes something much, much more than just an right. object. Yep. Yep. It's very, I, I really enjoy when you can have a motif and it plays out in all those different ways. You know, if he didn't pick up the hammer, obviously he would have died. You know, if he picked up the hammer and saw it just as a tool, the rats would have killed him. If he picked up the yeah. hammer and saw it just as a weapon, he wouldn't have been able to build the community. And, so, you know, he, he says at the beginning there, if I pick up this hammer and hold it up, I will live. Um, but like you just said, if he had if he had just survived the cabin and left the cabin, he might have found another tool or another weapon. Um, but that hammer did literally allow him to live mm-hmm. and allow his yep. child to live. And, you know, every time he mentions, I, I had my hammer in my hand, you know, or, uh, they, they hear something outside, give me my hammer, you know? And- <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you were, if you were rewriting it for today's audiences who have no idea what, what, you know, the Bible is or what the quote is from the Bible, you could have called it the hammer abides. Or you know that <laughs> the the hammer that that the the forever hammer or something, and people would understand it because they would be able to see oh, it's the hammer, and you know in that that's what the motif does best when it when it, it does when it does best what it does, um, so you know yeah it's it's just one of those things. Uh, Earth abides though, like that's one of those things that the thing that would trip. I think most people up is the word abides. Yeah. What does know? abides mean? Yeah. And and so that's one of those where if they were to redo it, I think they could keep the title earth abides because it's evocative, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't know how many people would actually understand it and yeah. they might need to go new international version on it instead of, <laughs> instead of King James. <laughs> Um, the Earth remains. Uh, I think New International. And the word remains. Yeah, Earth remains. Like, oh, yeah. They're like the remains of a person when they're dead. Well, no, but no, no. Strictly, <laughs> strictly speaking, New International is Earth remains forever. Well, there you go. You know, and so it wouldn't just be remains. Let's see what the. Right. I always like to look at the New International Reader's version, because that's the just breaks it down even more. So, um, it sticks around. No, Earth remains forever. There you go. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Anything else to cover as we talk about the Earth abides? I just want to say that John Daner was Ish Ishwood. Uh, Peggy Weber played played uh, M, uh, and Peggy Weber 
might not know her name, but she did literally thousands of old time radio shows. She was actually a writer. Um, I saved this page because I wanted to make sure she got proper credit because she's someone that I should have known about much earlier than this. And I just, I just found her through this show today. Um, she received the, uh, uh, an award called the Norman Corwin award for excellence in audio theater. Um, she was the first woman so honored first woman. Uh, she wrote and directed like 250 stage plays, radio and television programs, um, she was, she was everywhere. I mean, her, her, it's just unbelievable. Um, and, uh, she is still alive. So really? Peggy Weber, if you're, if you're listening to this show, Peggy huh. Weber, um, please contact us. We would like to, uh, to throw more, more caveats here. Or not caveats. That was a stupid word. Throw more, more, uh, uh, laurels, laurels, accolades in your direction. Um, and she was wonderful. Um, Parley Bear, uh, these are probably names that no one is going to remember or, or whatever, but Parley Bear and Paul Fries and William Conrad. Well, Paul um, Fries and William Conrad were narrators. I don't know if, did they play anything in the, in the episode? Um, I think Paul Fries did multiple parts. I'm not sure. Okay. It's, it's, it's sort of difficult to, to figure out exactly who, who did what, but anyway, these are huge names in old time radio. And, uh, you know, these, the, the people who played in this drama probably put together 10,000 uh, episodes of old time radio, if not more um, just in those five names alone. Um, so just amazing people. Uh, Norman McDonald, no relation. It's McDonald, not McDonald, but he was the producer and the director. Uh, Ivan Dittmar did the music for it. And this was kind of interesting because the, the times where I listened to it recently, um, the he did these musical swells and i was like is he playing a hymn but then he would just sort of go off and finish the little musical swell in a different way and i think he was trying to quote a hymn and have it as part of the original music the hymn is great is thy faithfulness and you hear it um when it, at the very at the very beginning, I think where it's do 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 or something like that. Um, Join with all nature and manifold witness. Great is thy faithfulness. Um, but it just it sounds like a quote, like a, a musical quote. And and every time I'm like, you know, that that's an interesting quote because it's talking about nature and joining with nature and the witness of of how creation brings glory to God. So I don't know if if that was if that was anything, but it just struck me last couple of times where I heard it. And I, uh, I was just drawn into that music. So Ivan Dittmars, if, if that was your intent, great. Did a good job. (laughs) (laughs) So that's all I got there. Yeah. Well, I really enjoy this episode of, of, uh, of escape. I really, I like the themes that it builds on. I like the way it explores it. I like, like I've said before, the trope of this uh, ruined earth or um, post-apocalypse or mid-apocalypse really soon after the apocalypse. <laughs> but um, yep. I, I enjoy those kind of stories. And, you know, part of it is just engaging the imagination of, okay, everything's empty, you know, and what do you, what do you do? How do you survive? Um, 
and, and so there's there's a lot of other stories like this, but you know, like I said, this we mentioned the stand. Um, there, there's a man, I just can't think of them off the top of my head, but that's a story trope Andromeda that I would. Strain. Well, Andromeda Strain it just has that one town. It's not like it the does, world. But if if they didn't solve it, but they well, then... I don't want to don't want to spoil, but. <laughs> Andromeda Strain could have become this, yes, yes, yeah. Um, but but it didn't. Um, yeah, it. Yeah, the that one's good in its own right, though, for for other reasons to me. Yeah, we could do a whole show on that. Maybe we should. You know, Let's there's a sequel, uh, a sequel book that someone yes, wrote. It's was. not written by Michael Crichton, but no, but I think it was written with his blessing. Uh, the, I'm not sure. I'm not sure on the timing on that. There's been a couple I other books that were with his blessing. And, uh, there's a really interesting book called dragon teeth that mm-hmm. was written with his notes, um, that he intended to write the book, but didn't get to it. But it's about, mm. um, it's about the dragon fossil wars that happened, uh, early on in the, the 19th or the oh, early, okay. early 1900s, I think. Um, but it's the two these two guys who are just digging up fossils everywhere and um, created just a lot of chaos in in that that field of study <laughs> and um, it's it's I think a really interesting idea in the sense that it um, is a little bit of a prequel to Jurassic Park <laughs> and it's just <laughs> actually based on real guys like the, there's real history that he's writing about it's a historical fiction so. If you go to strangersandaliens.com slash OTR, that will take you to the episodes that uh, we've already done, old-time radio uh, retro listens, or I don't know what we want to call it, but um, <laughs> that'll take you right to there. And you can find Universe, you can find The Dream, you can find The Martian Chronicles, Christmas Carol. You can also find Narcoleptic Monster Dodos Invade the Neptune Colony Part 3. Part- which I have not listened to in years and years and years, but I do remember making that episode and just having fun. That was, that was one of my funnest episodes to make. Yeah. So we are creeping up on episode 350 and I'm hoping that not too long after that, we will be doing another look back at old time radio and finding another good sci-fi or fantasy story that'll allow us to explore some tropes in a new and fun way. So, and if, if you guys have anything that you think is just outstanding and maybe something that hasn't been done before, I don't know if we're going to do war of the worlds anytime soon, but you know, uh, things out there that, that maybe just are under the radar or, you know, stuff that, that you, you heard that really made sense to you. Talk to us about it. We might we might feature it on another program. At, at the very least, they're going to inform us to make better decisions about what we're listening to later. So yeah, yeah, I I do think Christmas time. I think let's 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 pull out. It's a Wonderful Life. There you go. You know. Yep. I mean, there's there's some things to talk about there for sure, and uh, the Lux Radio Theater did the yeah radio adaptation of the movie. Uh, and, uh, Jimmy Stewart was playing the part of George. It's George, Merry right? Christmas, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. I saw a live, well, not a live. I saw a, a recording of the live recording, uh, on PBS <laughs> and they redid It's a Wonderful Life. 
And wow. it was Harry Anderson playing the part of George. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but you got to see them all standing around in this half circle with their scripts. And um, and after that, I had my theater class that I taught when I was teaching high school. Uh, their big final project, uh, one of my classes did uh, – no. I can't remember if it was one class and the other class or if it was half of the class. I think it was two halves of the class. But anyway, one of them did It's a Wonderful Life and the other one did A Christmas Carol. And they wow. performed it. I recorded it. Uh, unfortunately, the way I recorded it did not work, so I couldn't give it to them because <laughs> that Aww. was they were supposed to have the product in hand. Uh, <sighs> but it was That's a lot sad. of fun. It was a lot of fun. That's and cool. They did the special effects, you know, live, and it was it was good. Very was cool. Good. All right, that's this episode then. Steve, thanks for joining me. And we will uh, talk about something else later on. I can only hope. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for sp spending time with us. And uh, until next time, Godspeed. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast, hosted by Ben Avery, Evan David, Steve McDonald, and Dr. Jason Neal. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Lethel. We'd love for you to join the conversation by going to our website at strangersandaliens.com, where you'll find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com. Or you can join our social media conversations by following us on Twitter, where we are at Strange and Alien, or liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangersandaliens. Or leave us a voicemail by calling the Strangers and Aliens hotline. That number is 1-804-37-ALIEN. And once again, thanks for listening. All of our buddy, whatever. <laughs>